G-R-A-C-E, totally. Grace, totally. Now, let's turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Hear now God's word. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And, Paul speaking to Titus, now the pastor of the church on Crete, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may remember the old story, Fred. Don't know if it's a near-death experience, a dream, whatever. He's standing there at heaven's gate, and heaven's gate will not budge. Eventually, Fred cries out, is there anyone there? Can anyone help me with this situation? I'd like to get in. Suddenly, the archangel Gabriel appears to Fred. Fred is on his face on the ground. As you know, if you really encounter a true angel, you are on the ground in fear and trepidation. Gabriel invites Fred to stand, and Fred asks, what do I need to do to get this gate open? I want to go in. And Gabriel replies, well, the rule is this. You'll need 1,000 points to open the door. And the way the system works is, you tell me every good thing that you've done, significantly good thing, and I will allocate, I will tell you what the points are, and then we'll figure out where you are. So Fred goes into his, you know, the goodness of his life. I've been married to Sue for 45 years. I've been faithful to her. I've stayed married. I haven't committed adultery. I really kind of haven't committed adultery in my heart. I think kind of. Um, and, and Gabriel says, good, three points. I've been a Faithful and loving and supportive father to my three children throughout their lives. You know, they're now doing pretty well entering adulthood. All right, good. Two points. I've been active in the church. I've gone to church almost every Sunday, except, of course, when I or my kids had stuff that was kind of more important. But I've really tried to be there pretty much most of the time. And... I volunteered, I've ushered, I've sung in the choir, I helped with kids' programs when my kids were involved, and, uh, you know, I've been a pretty good church member. Fine, three points. 
Um, I've volunteered for charities. I've even given to my favorite charity. Um, you know, every year I give pretty generously. I give at the church. I uh, dream of beautiful seascapes like that. That's nice. And uh, things work out really well. Uh, and Gabriel says, okay, two points for that. They keep going through this list. And after a while, you know, for, I volunteer to help feed the hungry. I've done this, that, and the other thing. Um, and Gabriel, at the end of this, says, okay, good. You're, you're at 14 going on 15 points. And Fred says, I've got to get 1,000 points. And I've pretty much given you most of my good stuff. The way this is going, I'm going to have to throw myself on God's mercy and ask him to get me in. And Gabriel says, bingo. <laughs> now go back and live your life, the rest of the life God gives you accordingly. Grace. Uh, the truth is that none of us, none of us, even in our most preposterous, prideful moments, can even presume or should even presume to think that we can make a bargain with God to trade what we do, our prayers, our religion, our good family values, our this or that, for God's favor. God is no person's debtor. How could God do this to me? Let, let me repeat this. God is not your debtor. And his favor is exactly like the, the word implies, favor, grace, gift. It's, it's not an exchange. It's not a transaction. Definitely not wages or dividends paid out to you. So what is saving grace? Well, with the sermon title, I have employed that classic acrostic from the great 19th century preacher Phillips Brooks. Grace, totally, but notice it's G-R-A-C-E, totally. Phillips Brooks says we need to remember what grace means. And I can tell you that God, as you can see in the sermon notes, and you may want to be ready to fill in G-R-A-C-E, uh, God saves only and totally by giving sinners G-R, what is that? God's riches, A-C-E, at Christ's expense. You write that down, that's what G-R-A-C-E stands for. God's riches at Christ's expense. Philip Yancey, in his classic book from around 30 years ago or 40 years ago, What's So Amazing About Grace, says that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. Think about it. If we're going to talk about grace, and grace is so central to the Bible, what does that mean? We're imperfect. We need to be forgiven and restored, right? So our imperfection is, in fact, critical, a priori, the, the prerequisite, the condition preceded to God's grace for us. And Ansi goes on to say this, one who has been touched by grace will no longer look at those who stray as those bad people or those poor sinners 
or those evil people, those people who need our help, the good people. <laughs> Us good people need to help those poor people. Nor will we search for signs of love worthiness in others. Do they warrant my love? Do they warrant my attention? Grace teaches us that God loves us. If you don't get anything else, I want you to understand this. God loves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Let me repeat that. God loves you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. God saves you, not because of what you have done or promised God to do. Hey, God, if you'll help me out, I'll do this for you. No, no, no. Because of what Jesus has already done. The person and the work of Jesus totally is the basis of your salvation. Which takes us to Titus chapter 3. We'll pick up at verse 3. We are all totally sinners. This is what Paul is saying in verse 3 of Titus chapter 3. It's really interesting because Paul, if, if you know Paul, Paul on the one hand says he's the chief among sinners, but the truth is his background before he became a Christian, but before he became a Christian was, you know, he was a righteous Pharisee. I mean, he impeccably followed the law. He tells us this is in his letters while at the same time telling him, telling us he's the chief among sinners. The only reason he was persecuting Christians is because he was so sold out in his understanding of his love for God and his commitment to God's law. Paul was not a partier, <laughs> far from it. He's the opposite of that. But, but Paul goes ahead and does this inclusive first person plural with Titus, who bear in mind is the pastor of the church on the island of Crete. He says, we, Paul is saying, you and the rest of us and I were horrible sinners, hateful, hating other people, hating one another, just really bad. So if you're a Calvinist, if you're a reformed person, you just went to the T there, total depravity. That's what Paul's saying. And this is a way of his saying, look, the truth is even the best of our goodness is as Isaiah, the prophet says, filthy rags, okay? So this is the first thing Paul says. We were all totally sinners, but, but, and on this, we need to fast forward in the passage. I'll take you through this passage. Fast forward to the opening of verse eight. The answer to the fact that we're gonna be sinners, that we are sinners, and the answer to the whole story is gonna be locked into a trustworthy saying he's gonna give us. And on the back side of the saying, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. What is he talking about in, at the beginning of verse eight? He's talking about verses four through seven. Verses four through seven. And this is the trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy gospel saying. There's several times in Paul's letters when you read the New Testament where he refers to trustworthy sayings. And what he's giving us are early, what you might call creeds or proto-creeds of the first century Christian church. This is what they said in worship and in affirmation and as they discipled new believers. Okay, so Paul is letting us in on this. This same creed 
is employed at a lesser degree more broadly in Ephesians chapter 2. We open in the call to worship with that. But, but here we really get the Trinitarian saying. And let me just say up front, this is a, a statement of faith about God the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who saves us. And by the way, the whole background of this is we are such complete sinners that we absolutely need the full Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to save us. And this is borne out in this creed. It's an awesome creed about what the gospel is and how God works for our salvation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here's this trustworthy gospel saying or creed of God, the Holy Trinity's saving grace. Uh, I've got it graphed out for you or charted out for you a little bit in the notes. You can follow along in the sermon notes. Titus 3, 4 through 7. To begin with, when God our Savior's goodness, this is like what early Christians would have said in their affirmation of faith here. Now, when God our Savior's goodness and loving kindness appeared. Okay, that's, that's the first thing that's being said. Now, let's break that down a little bit. God our Savior. In Paul's way of writing and referencing here, that God reference, although God is fully Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's talking about the Father there. First and foremost about the Father, and then more broadly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When God, our Savior, and now notice this, we're not our own Savior. Okay, We are not our own Savior. When God, our Savior, when God, our Savior's goodness Christotes, and loving kindness, philanthropia. I want to give you that one. I want to point this out now. That's why I have in the, in the little parents there, the parenthetical, toward humanity. Because the Greek word there, philanthropia, you'll know that word as it transliterates over into English. Philanthropy, philanthropic, that's the word there. And what that means is a kindly love towards humanity. So God is not only loving kindness in general, but he is actively loving in kindness toward humanity. Okay, that's, what, that's the foundation of the gospel move here. God, our Savior's goodness and loving kindness toward humanity appeared. Every word in this little opening of this creed is hugely important and circle appeared. When did his loving kindness toward all humanity appear? When? Specifically, historically, we just got a historical reference. Jesus, his incarnation, his birth, his coming, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection. This was made manifest. This was revealed to us. His appearing, God our Savior's loving kindness appeared when Jesus came. Okay? That's the opening of the trustworthy gospel saying. That's verse 4. Then let's go to verse 5. He, in other words, God our Savior, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, okay? not by anything we did, and not that we were standing in righteousness, because we were not standing in righteousness outside of Christ. That's what he just said. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own, and I've got in parens there so you get this, it's not just a broad concept, we're talking about active intervention here. 
according to his own active mercy. How does God do this? Well, guess who is in the center of this faith affirmation? The third person of the Trinity that a lot of us forget, unfortunately, way too much. God activates your salvation through the active intervention of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so notice this. According to his own mercy, by what? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration, that's talking about being born again. That same term is used in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus is talking about the new heavens and the new earth that bring in the new age. And when Paul, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when Paul comes to focus on our salvation, he says, anyone who is in Christ, and then he says, the, the English translations like put in words, it's Paul pauses. Anyone who is in Christ, and the next word in the Greek, new creation. And that's the same terminology that Jesus uses when he talks about the ushering in of the millennial kingdom, etc., etc. So we're talking big deal here. This is being born again by the washing of regeneration and the renewal. Now that term is like when Paul is talking about in Romans 12 too, when he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in other words, this is a process that involves us, the second part. So when you're born again, it's totally God doing it to you as a dead person, okay? But not only do we deal with positional, what's called, we talked about this Wednesday night, we'll keep talking about it on Wednesday night studies, how you grow spiritually. Not only positional sanctification, but also progressive sanctification, you're being called by God to be involved in becoming more holy. That renewal language there is worked out by the Spirit in you. So the Spirit doesn't just save you at the time of your being born again. You're supposed to be being renewed by, by, by the Holy Spirit. Now notice the, the lavishness of this. Whom, in other words, the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the way you receive the Holy Spirit is through Jesus Christ. God pours the Holy Spirit on us as Christians through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now notice that too, Christ, our Savior. We're talking about God, the Father, our Savior. We're talking about Jesus, our Savior. So which one is it? And the answer is yes. So that, this is the third part here. So that justified by grace, in other words, made right with God to stand before God by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, we should become heirs, heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. Now, let's apply this. Number one, what are we supposed to do? Number one, confess your need for G-R-A-C-E totally. Confess your sin to God and the emptiness of your love for God, your love for other people, your good intentions, anything you've tried to do, confess the emptiness of all that. Your wishful thinking, your, when I'm really in a good mood, God, I'm really a pretty good person. Confess totally, it's totally empty. Confess that. 
And as you know, we're going to go to the second point here. God is going to save you as you trust in him. But the immediate objection by anybody who's a thinking person would be, how can a good, just, and holy God turn a blind eye to sin? How can he turn a blind eye to your sin, my sin? The answer is he does not. He does not. God saves people. God saves you on the basis of what Jesus did for you. No blind eye at all. It's by grace. God's riches at whose expense? Christ's expense. If you're saved, Christian, your salvation and relationship with God is based solely on who Jesus is and what he did for you. So, Number one, confess your need for G-R-A-C-E totally, and then totally be transformed. Trust in and be transformed by G-R-A-C-E. Look to Jesus, trusting in God, trusting in God. You can trust him to justify, not because of you, but do you understand what I'm saying? You, you get to base your trust on who Jesus is and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Look to Jesus, totally trusting God to justify and save you by his grace, to make you a new creation, baptized and reborn of the Holy Spirit, whom God pours out on you. Now, notice this Pentecostal language here. You do not want to miss this. Are we historically at Pentecost? Is, this, is Pentecost a particular marker? Yes, definitely. But notice this. God pours out his spirit on anyone who is a Christian. Lavishly in Jesus. You don't get a little drop. He pour, if you are saved, he is pouring out his Holy Spirit upon you in Jesus Christ. Believe it, receive it, live according to that power. That's an incredible gospel. Grace, as Yancey says too, I love this, like water flows to the lowest point. So are you pretty bad? Isn't it awesome? Grace can reach you. And you know what? The lowest point of any of us, well, that's kind of my bad part. Grace, can, not only total depravity, right, but also total grace here. This is awesome. So, Pentecostal power in the power of his Holy Spirit. And then third, serve, G-R-A-C-E, totally to all people. Now, this is where we're going from preaching to meddling here. This is the application, the real application here, all right? You have to, you're called to, God's word just said it, you're supposed to serve grace to all people. Because you know what? You're already becoming an heir of riches in heaven that are untold. So you don't have to be stingy in your forgiveness, mercy, gentleness, and grace to other people. Okay? You do not have to be. You're set free to be. But, but man, that would put me at vulnerability or that would be awkward. No, no, no. You believe in Jesus. And you know you have riches in heaven untold through him. So be lavish in your grace to other people. Wait a minute, you mean that jerk who always says that? Yes, him. You mean that woman who betrayed? Yes, her. You mean my ex-spouse who? Yes, yes, definitely that one. You mean my brother who's tried to steal my earthly inheritance from me? Sure, because you've got an inheritance in heaven that blows away anything on earth. That's what God is saying here. You are an agent of grace by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to everyone in your life. You mean the guy who tried to turn us in to get our church persecuted? Yes, him. You mean that Roman soldier, Paul, standing outside who's trying to cut our heads off? Yes, definitely that one. Grace to all, Paul says. 
God says, if God has saved you, make it your aim to serve grace, serve it out. And after all, what is it costing you? Ultimately, nothing, because everything you have is at Christ's expense, the riches of God. Now, I went ahead and put in the application points here in our grace-based parenting. If you missed Todd's presentation on this, go back and look at it, parents, okay, from Wednesday night last, week and a half ago. Grace-based parenting. But wait a minute, what, what, what about when I'm tired and I'm worn out and my children are, yes, grace-based. Serve grace in your household. But my marriage, yes, I do mean especially your marriage. My siblings, yes. Your in-laws, yes, definitely with the in-laws. Serve lots of grace. And then you're going to tell me, well... You're really asking a lot. I mean, with family members and, and, and the really obnoxious guy across the street and all these people and politicians I don't like. And, and so I'm going to say yes and go back to one and two. See above. You can see this. This is in the sermon notes, right? When you get down to three, after a while, I say see one and two above. In other words, go back to repentance, confessing your total need for God's grace and trusting and being transformed in his grace and live out a life of grace. Yancey, again, in his book, Grace Note, says this, the proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are, but your awareness of your impurity and your total need for God's grace to change you. Turn to him that opens the door to grace. And then from our closing hymn, Augustus Toplady's classic verse, they're all classic really, but number three, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Go to him. Say this prayer. Be changed in the power of God's grace for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.